Hi again, everybody. This is uh, Nick Weber with the Knowledge Transfer Team in Market Development. Uh, here today with Randy Myers, who is uh, the guru of all the things fungicides and uh, diseases at, uh, at Bayer Crop Science. And we're going to talk today uh, somewhat about you know fungicides and how they play a role in disease management and just uh, some of the things and tips and tricks you can use in the field as you're having conversations with our farmer customers. So, Randy, welcome to, to our little podcast deal we're doing here. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, something most people probably have heard you speak, but there might be a, a few who haven't. Because give us a give us a little back, background about yourself and, and what you do at Bear. Well, I've been with Bear for 37 years, so I've been doing this for a while, and I've run up against most of the situations that, that people might might ask questions about. That's one of the advantages. When we talk about fungicides. Fungicide use has been around for oh um, forever back when Bordeaux mixtures were used on grapes. So they use fungicides a lot, but it's really relatively new for the corn soybean arena in the United States. We've been, we haven't had too, very many diseases that are that can cause disastrous yield reductions in, in those crops. So they really haven't worried much about it. I grew up on a farm in Iowa and we never used fungicides other than seed treatments. So it just wasn't one of those things. But what's important to recognize is we don't farm now the way we used to farm. Things have changed. My father was a tough nut to crack because when I came home from college and said, oh, we got to start thinking about fungicides, my dad's like, I've been farming for decades, little boy. You don't know what you're talking about. We don't eat fungicides. So but it's critical to understand that look what we're doing now versus 20 years ago. What's happened to row widths, plant populations, uh, the different hybrids that we have, our tillage practices, all those things have changed. And now the role of a fungicide is, is, is also changed with that. So we have now have a demand for it. We have created, with our change in agronomic practices, we've created a fungal nursery under the corn canopy or the soybean canopy. So as we're, with the extra mulch, reduced tillage, we're retaining moisture down there. And it's just ideal for a lot of these pathogens. And many of them survive in the crop residue. When I was growing up and we were moldboard plowing virtually every cornfield we had, Hey, all that residue got buried. So if there if there was an infection, there was no way it could get to the surface where these spores. So disease just couldn't get started. Well, now we have that mulch on top. And because we've got some of these racehorse hybrids, which create an awful lot of, of fodder that's on top of the ground, that that forage is where the disease survives. So even if I'm rotating corn soybeans, there's still corn residue from the pre previous crop two years ago when you come around. So because of that, Things have changed, and the role of a fungicide has become much more important. So, um, Randy, really important here is before we kind of maybe get into this conversation, um, you know, pesticides are, are, you know, there's labels that are associated with all these products, and it's like very important to follow these, right? Um, just kind of tee up our conversation before we dive into this, uh, why that is important, and what what we sort of recommend to our to our customers here. Okay, for all these products, read the labels so you understand what the restrictions are. The registration process is very extensive to get these products on the market. And there's two things. We have to worry about the efficacy to make sure they work. And secondly, we have to make sure that it's applied in such a way that we don't have residues of these chemistries in our commodity at the end of the season. So use them appropriately. So let's first take the disease triangle. Tell tell a little bit on on the for the uh, folks listening. What what are the components of the triangle and why that matters to to what we what we need to worry about in the in the in the field? Pathologists and academics just love the disease triangle because you have to have all three sides to be able to make this thing work. You have to have a susceptible host. You have to have inoculum. You have to have the pathogen present. 
And if both of those are present, you still may not have disease if the environment isn't right. So the fungi, the fungi, they produce spores. The spores get out there, they land on the leaf surface. So that means I've got the, the pathogen and I've got the host. However, the fungi need specific requirements to be able to grow and infect. For instance, when that spore lands on the leaf surface, it now has to germinate and get inside the plant. And the thing, one of the biggest limitations is moisture. So if that spore starts to germinate, just like a seed, if it starts to germinate, not enough water, it dies. So if we take most diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, the spore lands on the leaf surface and it needs 10, 12, up to 14 hours of moisture on that leaf surface to allow for the entire process to complete. The spore has to imbibe water and, and germinate, germ tube forms, and the fungus has to, has to either come go through a, a stomate or produce a, an apressorium to get inside the plant. It's gotta be inside the plant before the dew dries off, sun comes out, and the, and the spore dies. Once it's inside, there's plenty of moisture. But that process requires the right environment. If we don't have a long enough time of leaf surface moisture, then we don't have much disease. Also, a lot of these diseases have ideal bands for temperature. Let's take white mold and soybeans. It likes cool, moist conditions. Well, we can have moist or we can have cool, but if it's not cool and moist, you don't have infections. Yep, you kind of understand that we need all these things to come together to be able to, to have an infection take place and then right, providing the environment where we have the need for the fungicide. But an important thing to think about is we talk about the infection process. What's critical to remember is fungicides don't fix damage already done. That's why timing of a fungicide spray is so critical. If we go out there and we see damage in the field and we go, oh, I'll spray a fungicide, it'll fix it. No, that does not fix damage already done. We can stop the infection from progressing. But if damage is done, say we get leaves that get infected and we get damage after tassel, the corn plant will not produce new leaves after tassel. So that plant now becomes handicapped all the way through grain fill. So the timing of the application is absolutely critical to get the most out of your fungicide. So uh, brings me back to my uh, biology and uh, science days, <laughs> back in grade school and high school, I think, with all this. And so I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> but it's very important, like you said, as a grower, you nowadays, uh, and even our, our internal folks need to understand these dynamics that are at play um, because it makes these these agronomic decisions that's much more impactful right to use a fungicide or not and have the have the awareness and, and maybe before we get into some of the other stuff we want to talk about is like can you kind of under maybe share with us like how that has changed in the last you know couple decades of this understanding of the environmental conditions and all the science that goes behind that like is there is there something that you can share with us there well, that's one thing I spend a lot of time talking to people about is helping them understand how all these factors come together. Growers have been using herbicides for decades and they have a herbicide mentality in the corn soybean arena where I see a weed, oh, I can come out there and spray it. Or they'll put out a, a pre-emergent herbicide and prophylactically keep the, the weeds from even getting there. But if they do pop up, I'll quick spray a post-emergent herbicide and the problem goes away. So they have that mentality that they can fix the problem. With fungicides, it's a lot different because you have the infection take place and it'll the fungus can be inside the plant growing and rooting around and you have no visual symptoms to our eye to be able to see that the infection was there. So damage has taken place. And then once the damage has taken place, 
But you go, oh, I've got to spray. I've got to go out and do something because the symptoms are there. You have to understand that the damage is more extensive than what you might see. You often go out and you look at a leaf, and I did this in graduate school. You have a leaf and you look at the little lesions from a disease and you go, oh, well, that's going to reduce photosynthetic surface area. So if I've got 10% of my leaf covered with lesions, I'll lose 10% of my photosynthetic capability. Nope. Actually, the photosynthetic capability drops by about 60% because what you see are the, little, the lesions on the surface, but what you're not aware of is the fungus inside going beyond where those lesions are at. And the fungus often sends out these mycotoxins or chemicals to actually weaken cell walls of the plant ahead of the invasion. So that fungus is doing damage well beyond what that little lesion looks like on the leaf surface. And understanding that the damage that's done inside the leaf may not be vis visible right away, but it still reduces that photosynthetic potential. And one of the neat things, or the unusual thing about corn, corn is extremely efficient with, with light and photosynthesis. But to our eye, we can't see drops in chlorophyll content very well. So you can reduce the chlorophyll content in a corn leaf by 60% before you start seeing a difference to our eye. So we can already see damage and we can't pick it up unless you have some type of a multi-spectrum device. So we, we it's not easy to walk out in the field and be able to ascertain what the extent of the infection is or what the extent of the damage is that might have already occurred in your field. Randy, um, some of these definitions are are new to some folks, um, and we just want to maybe recap where we're at on some of this. So you mentioned some things like uh, systemic, uh, you know, activity or curative effects. Um, break down a few of these um, words that we usually associate with fungicide or pesticide use, and, and kind of explain maybe how that plays a role with some of the fungicides that you referenced. Well, those are good points because we need to make sure that we understand what that means. Now, when we talk about systemic, okay, we think about glyphosate. Boy, you spray that Roundup and you spray it on the leaves. I remember as a kid growing up with rope wick. We'd go out there and we didn't have tolerant crops, so we'd take the rope wick. You just kind of rub a little bit of Roundup on the top of the of the volunteer corn. The whole plant dies. So that's systemic activity, and but that's different. Glyphosate moves up and down the plant. It's moving in the phloem. Any of these fungicides, if they're systemic, they move only in the xylem, only with water flow. Meaning, if I get it on a leaf, it'll move the tips and edges of that leaf moving with the water flow, but it does not move backward and up the new tissue. So make sure that even if it's, if it's systemic, that does not mean that it's going to suddenly cure all the issues that are associated with, with application quality. I need to have good coverage with, like I said, I didn't need to cover the whole plant with a Roundup because of the way it moved. With fungicides, because the systemic movement is different, we need to get good coverage. We cannot sacrifice good coverage and expect systemic movement to, to cover that up. So, And triazole chemistries are all systemic, but it's important okay. to understand that they're the only ones that have a degree of curative activity. Now, curative is because of the mode of action, the way it works. Now. Okay. Triazole chemistry inhibits the formation of, of important membrane constituents. And without this particular molecule, they're demethylase inhibitors. That's ergosterol is the end product, which is important for membrane integrity. Without the ergosterol, the membranes fall apart. So the mycelia, the fungus inside the plant can actually die. So that's neat to have. But understand that if I do clean up the fungus, that doesn't mean the damage the fungus did before I killed it can be fixed. That's different. You know, your neosporin example. 
That's different because when we start to heal an infection, our body will produce new tissue to replace the damaged tissue. Plants don't do that. They may form a callus over the tissue, but they don't form, they can't heal damage that's already done. If I got destroyed cells, those cells will not come back. And right. it's like the corn plant, it will, will not produce any new leaves to compensate for that. So we have to understand what those limitations are, and that will dictate our timing of our application and the importance of the quality of the application to make sure I get coverage. Just bring it across the field, but not get into where it needs to be, not going to work well. And yeah. we talk about that's triazoles. The other two chemistries, strobilurins and SDHIs, they work primarily, well, they work by inhibiting electron transport in the mitochondria. So they cut out the energy production of the cell. Well, that sounds like a great thing, but they work primarily by inhibiting spore germination. Once those fungi are inside the plant, it's very difficult to get enough of the SDHIs and strobilurins into the plant, into the fungus, to cut down enough electron transport chains and enough mitochondria to kill the fungus. You really can't do that very well. So they work primarily on the leaf surface and inhibit spore germination because I can get that spore stopped pretty easily. That's the time it's most vulnerable. So when we talk about fungicide timing, it's important to know two things. When can the disease, when, when does the disease pose the biggest threat so I can apply it at that time? Or the reverse, when is my crop most vulnerable to the pathogen? So those two things are the most important criteria to, to dictate the best timing of a fungicide for a particular problem. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's unpack some of the fungicides and in, in the actions that they have, right? Modes of action. And you mentioned uh, I'm going to just stroby. I, I just know that's the, the the short version of it. So there's a few things in in certainly the Bayer portfolio that we can talk about, but maybe just as a um, fungicides in general, can you can you give us the sort of uh, the the Webster's dictionary version of what each of these do and how they sort of interact and and maybe can help help a, a farmer out? Well, the vast majority of the products that are out there contain chemistries from three classes. We've got triazole chemistries. They've been out for the they've been around for a long, long time, and they're very good standard fungicides. You have strobilurins, they've been around since the 90s, and those are broad spectrum and they have a nice long residual activity. So that's one of the things that they add, but they also trigger these physiological reactions in the plant that improve productivity. And the third class, which is relatively new to corn and soybeans, it's not new, it's a new mode of action because it's They've been around since the 60s, but those are SDHIs, that succinate dehydrogenase inhibitors. So those have been around for quite some time. But those three, and if you look in the label, you see group three triazoles, group seven SDHIs, and group 11 strobilurins. Those are on the label. will tell you what group each of the, the products are. But those predominate because of their breadth of spectrum and the activity they have on the particular pathogens we're most concerned about. So they're out there, SDHIs and strobilurins. They both can have some greening effects. They both have long residual activity. And they, but what's important to understand is how they work, primarily by inhibiting spore germination, which means they need to be applied before the infection to be most efficacious. Triazoles, they work in a different way. They can actually work on existing infections because they work by inhibiting the formation of important components of cell membranes. So if you don't have this important component, ergosterol, then the membranes become dysfunctional and the fungus dies. You can kill mycelia inside the leaf as long as you get the fungicide there. But like I said, 
that won't fix damage already done. But because there's some curative activity there, if you go out and you spray your field and there's already an existing infection, the presence of a triazole component is really important because you want to stop the infection that's out there from continuing to develop. So each of these chemistries brings something important to the blend. And we like having all three of them in there when we can, because in the case of resistance development, what we really want to do is not promote a shift in the population such these chemistries become useless. And in some cases, especially in the soybean arena, that has happened to strobilian chemistries. If you get down to the south with frog on east spot, if you spray a strobilian down in Alabama or I don't know, in Arkansas or Mississippi by itself, it's almost like spraying water because the entire population has shifted so dramatically that the fungicide doesn't work well. Aerial blight in soybeans, strobilian, we got resistance there. So because of that, it's important to have other modes of action in the tank. And what I'd like to have are three modes of action, because if there's a resistant strain out there, then, and so one of my modes of action doesn't work, I don't want to have a singular mode of action left behind to have all the selection pressure put on that chemistry. Right. So that's one of the reasons why three tend to work better at, at this particular point to reduce resistance development. From a grower's perspective, it's great to have three modes of action as well, because each chemistry has a sweet spot in how it works and each chemistry attacks a fungus a little differently. By attacking the fungus from different directions, it allows the overall performance to improve. Each chemistry has a sweet spot for, for, for performance. If I have multiple chemistries, I'm overlapping these sweet spots, making a broader sweet spot for the product. And so for the consumer, for the farmer, he gets more consistent performance from his fungicide. So it's a win-win from both sides. Yeah. So. Um, Dive into this a little bit with some of the products that are on the market from certainly corn and soybean perspective, but any others, I suppose, in the in our portfolio of Bayer. Um, you know, we have Delaro, Delaro Complete. Um, those are the ones that come to mind, obviously, top for, mm -hmm. for corn and soybean. Can you go into those two products in particular a little bit and explain kind of what you just alluded to of, of how those different modes of action sort of interact with each of those products and, and some of the benefits that they provide to, to the customer? Well, strobilion, trifoxystrobin is a strobilion we have in our portfolio, and it is a broad-spectrum molecule. It's got long residual activity. It triggers these physiological reactions. I like to have that anytime I'm out there making my spray. It is a good base from which to work. Then our triazole component, prothiconazole, it's a little bit unique in that, well, it's the broadest-spectrum molecule I've ever worked with, regardless of class. So broad-spectrum activity, it's systemic. It'll move in the plant, and it'll, it'll have curative activity. I'll help stop existing infections. So that put together, prothiconazole is very unique chemistry and does wonderful things as a complement to the other chemistries. So that's where Delaro has the trifloxystrobin and the prothiconazole. And okay. we have the amounts of chemistries in there. That's also important. We've got two products that are out there that contain the same two chemistries. We've got Stratego Yield and Delaro. Both have trifloxystrobin and prothiconazole but we have different rates of the prothiconazole in there. And that's primarily because we found that if we have strobilian resistant strains of, of a disease, such as frog on e-spot, the strobilian is not working from day one. So now I put extra pressure on this triazole component. Well, I need to have longer residual activity out of that chemistry. If you want longer residual activity from one of your molecules or from a product, easiest thing to do, increase the rate. Because the breakdown mechanism for these is, is it's, it's a constant. 
if I want to get longer residual activity, increase the rate. So as it breaks down, it takes longer to have a breakdown to this critical level that we need to maintain to have good performance from the fungicide. So increased rate. That's what we did with the LARA. We increased rate of prothiaconazole. So if you are in situations where you have strobilian resistant diseases, pathogens, I now have more activity from the chemistry that is working. But because of the concern about resistant strains developing and putting pressure on the remaining chemistry, that's why we moved from Delaro to Delaro Complete. We added fluopyram, the SDHI. So in those situations where the strobilian isn't working from day one, I now have another chemistry to backfill. What I want is at least two modes of action in my product working against every important pathogen. And that's what we have in Delaro Complete. Delaro Complete came out really almost on the heels of Delaro, but the reason was we didn't want to have a gap in there where we would foster a, a change or shift in the population of a particular pathogen, making it more difficult to control. We don't want to burn out the chemistries we've got. We're busy. That's what my job is to look at new chemistries and find new modes of action. We've got those coming down the pipeline, but it takes time to get them to the marketplace. So we need to protect the chemistries we've got because we don't have a lot of options at the moment. Right. Yeah. Good call. And so then I think also that it sounds like, you know, Delaro and Delaro Complete provide options for farmers too, right? Kind of like based on what disease pressures happen and, and the fungicide pressure, I suppose. Is that is that a fair way to look at that as well? Yeah, they're they're both great fungicides. We, they're, like I said, they're the broadest spectrum molecules, the products that are on the marketplace. There may be another product which may have an advantage here or there of slightly, but across all the conditions that are out there, if you want to have something that is broad spectrum and will work across more conditions than any other products, Delaro and Delaro Complete have shown up in our trials to be the top materials. Gotcha. So um, transitioning to like the the, the rep in the field, uh, the, the agronomist, the tech development rep, the sales reps who are listening to this, what are some of the things that you could share with them to say like, hey, this is, you know, some of the benefits that, you know, helps you position Delaro Complete or Delaro on a corn or soybean acre based on diseases. Is there some some feedback or some tips and tricks you could share with, with those in the field to, to help them understand a little bit more about this fungicide uh, area of the business and how impactful it can be for our customers? Well, like I said, it's the, the broadest spectrum products. So regardless of what situation you're going into, Delaro and Delaro Complete are not bad choices. And in some places, if you look at gravy spot in corn or white mold in soybeans, hey, they're Delaro Complete, the best product in our trials consistently across these geographies. So the, the consistency that they provide, that's probably one of the biggest attractions for these products. And it, it goes very nicely with with the other products we have. You already kind of mentioned this. We need to, by having different hybrids that are out there or cultivars for soybeans and understanding that in our germplasm, we've got resistance to some of these diseases or tolerance that depending on the situation of the grower, we can put together various tools to help him address the problems he's got. We can have tailor-made solutions for what his problem is, and that gives us an advantage because we've got more of the pieces of the puzzle that he needs to be able to make the best decisions. Randy, um, anything else that you want to share about uh, the fungicides in your work and things you're excited about here? 
Oh, I could go on for a long time because <laughs> I, I enjoy it's a it's a neat arena to work in because it's constantly changing. And because we've got so many different factors that come into play with aerial applications, what do you look at? Adjuvants. So there's a lot of different things that are involved that require a little more attention than you might be used to with herbicides. It's really more most important with fungicides to make sure all these little details are well well tuned to in order to make sure that you get the most out of your input. I have a feeling we'll have you back on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Randy, for joining us. Appreciate it. It is my pleasure. <laughs>